0: Welcome to The Resilient Surgeon, part of the STS Surgical Hot Topics podcast. Our goal with The Resilient Surgeon series is to inspire our colleagues to be their best selves in and out of the operating room, using scientifically proven tools and recovery strategies of the world's top performers. I'm Dr. Michael Mattis, and in each episode, I will talk to game changers who will share evidence-based practices real-world strategies, and their own personal stories and experiences to help you build your resilience and to help you be your best self no matter what. Our guest today on The Resilient Surgeon is Dr. Frederick Luskin of Stanford University, and the topic is forgiveness. Dr. Luskin is the director of the Stanford Forgiveness Project, which he founded in 1999. And he has since been committed to understanding not only the science of the physical and mental health benefits of forgiveness, but also, and most importantly, showing us how to actually go about forgiving someone, especially when we have been badly wounded. Fred has taught his very doable and actionable framework forgiveness all over the world with some of the most challenging forgiveness problems, including victims of violence in Northern Ireland and in Sierra Leone during their civil war. Though these are extreme examples, the challenge of forgiving someone in all walks of our lives can be extraordinarily difficult, as we all tend to carry our wounds and often relive them in our internal stories about the transgression. But don't think that forgiveness is only for those who have suffered major transgressions. We all suffer from the wounds of others and from our experiences, large and small, And even the small ones can haunt us for days, weeks, or even years, subtly or not so subtly, influencing our mental and physical well-being. Regardless of where you fall on the curve of forgiveness ability, Dr. Luskin shows us in this episode how to forgive, not for the person who harmed you, but for you, so you can move from being the victim of a transgression to empowerment over your life. It can be very counterintuitive, but trust me, his process works. And now I bring you Dr. Fred Luskin. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining us today on The Resilient Surgeon. It's a real honor and a privilege to have you here with us. Thank you. Um, in, In your book and in your writings and your podcasts that you've been on and stuff, you relate the story of your own challenge with forgiveness uh, with a, a good friend named Sam. Isn't that it? Do I have that right? Yeah. Would you mind kind of just giving us that background and and also a little background on where you how you got into forgiveness as a thing? Because it certainly, you know, germinated with that uh, experience with Sam, as I understand it. I mean, forgiveness as a thing.
1: Um, we're all angry sometimes, or we're all hurt and have grievances, I discovered forgiveness as a thing, because when my friend betrayed me, I didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So I had been hurt and had grudges before, I had just never had them um, harm my life the way this one did. And one day my wife came to me, who was a very kind hearted woman. And said, Fred, I'm deeply disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. That um, I, I expected better. Mm-hmm. Um, when I married you, I thought you had more of something than you seem to. But you're letting this get to you for too long, and I, it's not okay. Like I'm not threatening you, I'm not insulting you, but you know, take a look at yourself. And, and because of who she was and how rarely she was that critical, um, it stopped me in my tracks and it forced me to examine my self-pity. Because the self-pity was at the heart of all the grudges that I had thrown around about this. Mm -hmm. It was centered on poor me. This shouldn't happen to me. How dare they mistreat me? And then the world's not making it right you know i'm sitting there with a a, a three-year pity party three
0: years yeah that's three years and yeah. Yeah, three yeah. years and, yeah. and it's a
1: pity party and i realized that i was taking that out on her
0: mm-hmm. like it's affecting own, everybody in your orbit
1: yeah yeah you owe yeah. me because i had been mistreated and lied to and once i realized that um it got harder to keep it going you know it didn't feel quite as pretty uh it 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 just didn't make as much sense and i had an experience honest honest truth in the right before this lifted my wife sent me to buy something at a supermarket and i went into the supermarket and they didn't have what she wanted and i hadn't wanted to go so i was cranky And I'm in the middle of this supermarket around Christmas time, and everybody's hustling and, you know, all this stuff. And I stop at the aisle where they don't have, and my self-pity is like off the charts. But for a moment, I mean, it was a moment of grace. I stopped, and I see that I'm in a supermarket, and I have enough money to buy whatever I want. And I have a wife at home with the child. And it lifted yeah and that moment of lifting was what I recognized forgiveness was like the heaviness that I had put over my experience dissipated Mm -hmm. and for the time that it dissipated I was free
0: free yes
1: and the forgiveness project emerged out of what I learned to keep me free
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so that that's about as good an answer as I can give yeah, you. yeah no
0: that's a beautiful story you know I uh, and then there's another I'm going to quote you in, in just a second but I had a a very similar experience a sense of betrayal and it was work related and deeply I felt deeply injured and mm. uh, you know and this was haunting me for a couple of years uh, yeah and I had lunch with a close colleague at work after I'd uh, quit work, and uh, she she said, and this was a, a turning point for me. She said, "You know, the best revenge is to succeed." Yeah. <clears throat> and i and I that hit me like a ton of bricks because mm-hmm. it it tossed me out of the sewer of self-pity, as you say, exactly into a different frame of thinking.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I love your quote that we have two. a life well lived is the best revenge over the past. And that's what you... that, that's not my quote That's oh, OK, he misquoted
1: that quote. <laughs> that quote's been around for a while. And when I stumbled upon that, I had the same epiphany as you did that. That's
0: spot on. Yeah. And but then I I love the way you've taken that. And re- because the word revenge kind of is a little uh vindicative it's it's vindictive you know on the other hand you say forgiveness is becoming a hero Mm -hmm. instead of a victim and i think that's just the most perfect frame for this you want to just talk about what you mean by that and what forgiveness is in that sense
1: well i mean when you when people look at like the tendencies of human beings we're hardwired for the capacity for revenge forgiveness for anger for charity like we have a whole range of innate possibilities within us so there's nothing wrong per se about all of the aspects of our human experience so there are times when revenge is absolutely appropriate i mean revenge payback
0: Mm -hmm.
1: however um the problem is the the negative emotions or the quick um like return an eye for an eye emotions those are more easily accessed than the more reflective kinder gentler emotions so if we're not careful we'll pull on revenge and bitterness
0: before we'll pull on forgiveness and tolerance so one is they have to be practiced like your moment in the grocery store i mean that those are the moments you're talking about yeah 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 and
1: then i had to practice bringing it back
0: right right
1: because one moment wasn't enough but but when you get those moments or you see that you're capable of handling things like you want to strike back at your partner because they say nasty things that's a form of revenge yes When you quiet down and think, but I love them, and they've been nice to me for 19 years, that capacity is what human beings need to develop both individually and globally. Forgiveness is like that capacity, and I no longer have to hold on to myself as being harmed by whatever it was because I freed myself from that status.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and you, what's another paradigm that I think you've developed is this idea of a grievance mm-hmm. and yes. it, a grievance. And it's, it's, you've really parsed it out into the, the process of how we create this thing in our heads that we carry around with us like a ball and chain. Can it's you kind of go through with us the three steps to developing a grievance that you've outlined?
1: Well, I mean, from you look at things and things happen to us and, you know, people have known for thousands of years that those things happen and then we interpret them. So it's not that they're in themselves always good or bad. So if you're stuck in traffic, but you just want a million bucks, you don't mind sitting there and looking at million bucks. Right. You're stuck in traffic and you have to get to work. Then traffic becomes a big problem. Yeah. So the grievance comes from something that happens that we don't like that we take personally. Like instead of traffic just being traffic, it's like somebody's out to stop me from getting to work on time. Yeah. We yeah. take it personally, that triggers an adrenalized threat response in our body the threat response is designed to make us uncomfortable and want to get the heck out of Dodge. And so we then blame that arousal on whatever it was that we took personally, rather than just saying, hey, my nervous system is aroused. And then we build a story around how we're not responsible for the fact that we took it personally and we blame the arousal So the story takes on a life of its own. My friend hurt me rather than living his own life. Me being upset for three years was his fault. Mm -hmm. That's the grievance story that we weave by those particular ways of interpreting experience.
0: And it it happens in some ways, almost automatically, doesn't it? I mean, just instantaneously.
1: let's say habitually, not automatically. Yeah,
0: habitually, yeah, 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 that's right. You know, the impersonal part, now I, I can imagine some people potentially rolling their eyes, listening to that, well, it, but it is personal, God damn it. I mean, so <laughs> <laughs> it's me, right? <laughs> they did something to me, but how, yeah, and it's really important, and this is crucial, uh, how you talk about things not really being personal so often, Um uh, well, I mean, and how do you discern that? What you said is true. And having listened to like
1: thousands of people, there are a small percentage where it is personal.
0: Mm-hmm. Like where somebody like said, actually personal. Yeah, Yeah. Like I yeah. want to hurt you. Yeah.
1: Or I want to pay you back. Or I don't like you personally. So I'm going to do something. That's a small minority. Much larger is I'm unhappy in my marriage. Therefore, I'm gonna have an affair. If it affects you, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Or I'm gonna lie because I wanna get ahead in business. The people that I hurt, not really meaningful to me. Yeah. Much more is that way than personal. The other piece, and again, for good or for bad, we've had to think about this stuff for decades. Um, Each thing that happens has both a personal And an impersonal dimension. Mm -hmm. So you could say, I have two kids, you know, whatever, and that's wonderful. They're your kids. That's the personal part. The impersonal part is the town you live in, there's 25,000 kids. So having two is no big deal. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. a normal human experience. Every experience has both a personal and an impersonal dimension. So if somebody cheats on my, if my partner cheats, the personal is, boy, that sucks. The impersonal is there could be 25,000 marriages in California having an affair right now. It's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The problem is when you over identify with the personal aspect and under identify with the impersonal, don't see it as a reasonably normal human occurrence, which human beings have learned to deal with or have had to understand over the entire time we've been on the planet. Yeah. So it's out of balance. Now, the the impersonal has a problem, too, which is if you listen to somebody else's story and you just say, hey, that's another story, then you're uncompassionate and um, unkind. Mm -hmm. we all have to have some balance between the general human condition and our particular story within it
0: yeah and one of my one of the ways I like to frame this notion is you know any event or behavior or things that human beings do that we capture in a moment be anger it could be cutting you off on the street it could be the affair those are but a sliver of the concatenation of forces that have led up to that moment i know tiny sliver i know that you know what i mean right well
1: is it that's almost one of the essential truths of buddhism yes yes yeah you know that there are multiple Codependent arising things all the time,
0: all the time, and for and
1: us to make believe that one little moment that we've captured explains it is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's not the moment of truth, it no, is not even close to the moment, not of truth. even close. Yeah, yeah, and if you can really grasp that, that is such a profound basis for compassion for others and understanding. It doesn't mean you have to, as you say, like or tolerate behaviors. Not at all. But it's what's inside us that matters. No question. And it's it's one of the prime
1: reasons both that we most of us need to become more mindful of our experience. Mm -hmm. But I think that the whole mindfulness stuff has taken off because it provides a little antidote in our technologically mindless world, for us to get a tiny bit more ability to discern what's actually going on.
0: Yeah, I'm not not I'm not. My intent here is not to help pitch uh, meditation, but I, for me personally, I can categorically state. You know, I use Sam Harris's Waking Up app, and sure. I've used that for years now. And sure. he's he's got an idea. But you know, just begin again, begin again, begin again begin again and it is profoundly altered no my question. ability to let go of things you know no question. and stop the story making in my head about <laughs> what what I perceive to have gone on you know, I know. really incredible and I, I'd say it's for me the biggest benefit of meditation that I have found just the ability to let go of it and I wasn't even that prone to it before but I realized once I started just how the stories get rolling you know I, I mean, and, I re- it, and they can profoundly influence us. Yeah. So
1: one of the questions you had asked me was like how I got into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I started meditating in college. And, you know, you never really good at it, but, you know, oh, yeah, it, whatever that means. <laughs> but you do have some it does give you some capacity for a little bit of healthy detachment. Exactly. So I had none of that during the three years that my friend did this. But once I started to recover, um, I recognized that the meditation that I had been practicing was a real ally to my healing, Uh that I could bring some of those tools of, wait, Fred, it's just a story. And, you know, but I couldn't in the, in the grip of the mental illness that i had but as i Mm -hmm. started to move out of Mm -hmm. it i know i moved out of it pretty quickly because i had meditation schema of how to do it yeah
0: yeah 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 i I can't recommend it enough for people i've i've always pounded the pavement on that (laughs) no question yeah yeah so this gets at another interesting point and you know I've always generally had, I think, a reasonable tendency to let things go in a general sense. And of course, you have to as a as a surgeon, you know, you have to have that skill. And within the world of personality, of course, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, you know, the big five personality and ocean and neuroticism, the traits that it measures. And, uh, you know, some people are clearly more prone, it mm-hmm. seems to me, to not for, not forget and to ruminate. What are some of the features of of us individuals that make us prone to stewing about these things more than other people? Are there predispositions?
1: Being being younger makes Mm -hmm. it harder. The older you get, there's a certain segment of the population that says, hey, I'm not going to be be here that much longer. (laughs) Why am I banging my head against the wall? Um, But the one of the others is a lack of gratitude that people who don't see their blessings and benefits have a much harder time letting go of the wounds and deficits. Um, There is, and, and you might, you probably know about this, but there's that idea probably from 20 years ago of a hot reactor Mm-hmm. blood pressure just spikes and their adrenalized response is harsher and quicker so those people have a hard time forgiving and the more of the qualities of narcissism forgiveness is mm-hmm. one of those things that just goes out the window like right? yeah. yeah it's all about you um the rest of the world doesn't matter so much um it is it is almost impossible for people with a healthy dose of that to forgive.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what about media and the world at large and, and its impact on us? you you mentioned media. I mean, if you go into YouTube or any place, you know, you can see, you know, TV shows, you know, all these Amazing. things. Yeah. I have no idea about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't even make a guess. The only thing I can say is having been teaching for about 30 years and seeing now almost everybody comes into everything with a phone and is distracted that's going to make the kind of attention that allows us to let go much harder
0: yes yeah
1: and and you know about the dopamine hijacking yeah. from yeah. the yeah. you know the the constant stimulation so we we are negatively affecting our mental health. I mean that that's just that's just clear. Um, the, other than that, I have no knowledge yeah. of how this yeah. might have impact yeah.
0: And of course, we are profoundly affecting our mental health with these things profoundly. yeah, I and mean, it's it's really a big problem. but that's subject for another podcast.
1: <laughs> well, the last time I did a grand round for medical students, it was was a number of years ago, but it was like a lunchtime, you know, inviting somebody to yak at them while they're trying to eat lunch. Um, And it had maybe been five years or more between the one before that. Their inability to put down their technology was shocking. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Shocking. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want any of these people to be my doctor. (laughs) yeah no I know it it's a challenge it was a a, it was painful to watch to watch they they were legitimately super busy I'm not and I know how hard they work and I know how much they learn but that busy you can't pay attention deeply to another human being
0: yeah to anything to anything. anything categorically well, how does one tell if you've created a good grievance upstairs in your head? What are the signals?
1: The biggest signal, the easiest, is just tell somebody about it and watch your blood pressure.
0: Isn't that the truth? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Just... No, I know. I've, I'm relating because I remember yeah. telling people about various things. It's like, yeah. can you, your eyes yeah, you're right. Your eyes are yeah. popping out of your yeah. head. And, and you swear that you're calm
1: but yeah. you're going like this yeah but it's it's even more subtle than that like ask just you know we do this is how do you know if you're forgiven mm-hmm. when you can just talk about it yeah when it That's doesn't a- doesn't cause an adrenalized reaction when it's just another story then you're forgiven you don't even have to like the guy you can yeah yeah I was badly treated by X, but it's just a story.
0: Just a story now. And it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, really importantly here, and I can again think, I can imagine some people thinking, you make the point (laughs) about what forgiveness is not. Yes. All right. And I think this is really an important series of things to highlight so that people don't think this is just like everything's okay, kumbaya. That's exactly right. and. One of the things we found was
1: a significant percentage of our teaching was simply telling people what it is and isn't. Mm -hmm. That their misconceptions were so enormous. So it's not reconciliation. You don't have to rejoin a relationship. We would say, your husband cheats on you. You can forgive him and kick him out of the house or you cannot forgive him, but welcome him back into the house, but every night tell him he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. So forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. You can forgive somebody and still take him to court to pay child support because you absolutely know they deserve, they need to pay their children. So it's not the same as justice. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't condone bad behavior. You don't make excuses for it. You forgive it. You say, they misbehaved, they did wrong, I failed. That's not the end of the story. It's just that in this moment in time, they failed or I failed, and now I'm releasing that hold on them, letting it go, so my life can continue on
0: unimpeded. Mm -hmm.
1: That's the forgiveness
0: piece. So you could become the hero of your story As as I want to keep coming back to, yeah,
1: that's exactly it. And forgiveness doesn't mean that like you don't suffer. Because you don't get to short circuit grief by forgiving, you get to feel grief, which is your Mm -hmm. brain and nervous systems recalibration after disruption and devastation. It has to take time. Forgiveness resolves that process. It doesn't short circuit it. And so forgiveness is this emotional cognitive release of our imprisonment. So that 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 that's a big part of where we
0: start. Yeah, and I to to tell you my own personal experience relating to my previous injury. To this day when i think if it comes up in my mind i still feel the constriction yes and the tightness yeah. but i have a very different relationship now to it exactly. i don't sit and think god that son of a bitch, what exactly. did they i, I just think oh yeah that was a tough time yeah. That was a tough time and then you let it go oh. and then i let it go and it's over it's, it's over. really remarkable
1: yeah i know yeah and we learn that I mean, not having to teach deep meditation, but even 25 years ago, when it was much less common than it is now, simple, real diaphragmatic breathing. I mean, real lower belly, open and close, practiced can help people 20 times a day if they need to. Let it go, let it go. And the one other thing we learned was you have to change a little bit people's schema about it, because like you said, in the past, if it re-triggers you, you think, oh,
0: they got me again. Mm -hmm. That story comes up immediately. Immediately, but we taught
1: people that if you make a decision that you want to let it go and you expect some relapse, that when that relapse comes, you just practice and let it go.
0: Yeah, I suppose in a way it can almost be like, of as like kind of an addiction the, the 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 craving you know can surface out of the blue but you know if you're if you're mindful about it you don't you realize you don't have to respond to it it's just there and it's just something that comes and goes
1: my friend yesterday told me that he the people he's working with are pretty convinced that at times anger serves as a dopamine initiator hmm. That um, that our survival mechanisms are so deep that if we're angry at something for a while, that the whatever the interpreter thinks, okay, we need this, so the anger then serves as a slight pleasure um, enhancer, as opposed huh. to the the absolute like badness of helplessness or despair, yeah. yeah, which is what anger is designed
0: to mitigate. Boy, that's fascinating. I, know. I have not heard that before. That is really fascinating. I know. I know. Really fascinating. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so how does one forgive? What's the process? I mean, take us through the steps. you outlined that well. Uh, how does one go about the process? Say you're sitting here, you see the story, you see everything going on. What does one do? Where does one start with this? Whole I mean,
1: process? it always starts with some kind of decision that and they the research is this decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness you got to make a decision that you're tired of your reactivity mm-hmm. tired that, of being a victim yeah that, that yeah. the people i've spoken to who have forgiven even really horrendous things i mean things that make your hair stand on end you know like that And they'll tell me that, well, you know, after four years or two years or five years, I got so sick of my reaction. So I had to do something. But that's where it starts. Then the the second thing is you realize that you have to change you. So it's like the serenity prayer, you know, like if there's stuff in the world I can change, I'll change it Mm -hmm. if there's stuff Mm -hmm. I can't, I better recognize what they are. And I better develop acceptance by changing the things I can and accepting I can't. So yeah. that means that there's an inner quality and the piece that we added that's unusual. And this is why our psychoeducation is so effective: is you only deal with now. Mm-hmm. We don't. Just... We don't talk about the past at all in our work
0: because that's all there is. I mean, it sounds so cliche but god damn it that's all there is is. that's all there is you're
1: you're creating
0: upset now
1: or you're creating peace now and so but that was the the central um insight that we use that separated us from all sorts of other stuff you're just dealing with now so Mm -hmm. if now you're upset physiologically calm down so
0: some kind of breathing. The breathing, or... which I just want to emphasize how how salutary that is as a tool in your daily kit. And I mean, it's something I must admit, you know, uh, 12 years ago, I would have blown that off as BS. Of course you would. You know?
1: Yeah. The but other it's... one, the other really important thing is, and we've added this more, is remember that you're loved. Mm-hmm. And we, we there's a little bit of in the book, but we do a lot more of just like stop for five seconds and just picture someone you love or picture a moment when you knew you were loved. Mm. And when you picture it, all, everything calms Everything it. changes, everything, everything changes. changes. Yeah. So yeah. either or both, but that practice calms you down physiologically and then you can like go inside of your mind and say now that you're a little calmer you can remind yourself what the rolling stones taught you can't always get what you want
0: <laughs> but you might just get what you need
1: exactly <laughs> but you have to take the calmness and write this moment remind yourself it's okay yeah. nobody gets with everything they want yeah yeah. So those two, like physical, mental calmness are essential. Mm-hmm. Then once, once that's been a, a practice, then, you, then you're taught to look for all the, not all, but a good part of the good you missed in your life, because your negativity bias has you or me focused on what's missing and wrong, not what's there. So we do lots of simple practices on, you know, did you have breakfast this morning? Well, did you appreciate that? Mm-hmm. Or did you just think about last night, your partner wasn't nice to you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, those kind of things. Did you remember who at work was kind to you? Well, or did you just remember the idiot who spoke to you? So that's that's, that's the practice that starts to cement changes and then the 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 question is asked um so the the only real revenge the only way you get back at whatever it is that hurt you is to have the best damn life you can have yeah because other yeah. than that they've harmed you
0: yeah yeah
1: and then from that we ask them to change their story from something looking backwards to failure to moving ahead
0: to success changing the story changing yeah. the story Because so much is all about the stories we tell ourselves. It My is God. all about just stories. staggering. staggering. No question. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it took me 20 years of teaching mm-hmm. this before I realized that I knew that you had to change the story. But it took me 20 years to be able to say to people, you know, you don't even need this progress process is all you got to do is really change what you change tell the you. damn story <laughs>
0: what you're telling yourself yeah exactly
1: yeah but it took me 20 years to understand that
0: uh, you know and, and just just to highlight um the power of these seemingly small and seemingly insignificant practices like gratitude or remembering you know your child and who loves you or the meal that you had you know uh i i those are so reorienting um profoundly reorienting and uh i I just can't underline enough the value of those and again it's not ignoring reality but it it just reorients your frame to the world you know let me let me even be more blunt than that where i'm writing
1: a book another book on um Forgiveness for substance abuse, like uh, somebody, a publishing house asked for that. And um, I'm now at the point where I talk about if you don't have gratitude, you're seeing the world through distorted lenses.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like it's not that gratitude is an add on to reality, that without gratitude, you're not seeing reality. You're, you're right, seeing, you're not. You're seeing your threat centered protective mechanism mm-hmm. projected out to the world, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have to adapt that to see things clearly.
0: Yeah, uh, just a vignette when I, I was in treatment at Hazelden for prescription narcotic addiction, uh, 13 years ago. Wow, and and I would, my my counselor Bruce. <laughs> And I, he just drove me crazy. Now, when I went in, I was not happy. All right, just to put it mildly. And you know, I was a full professor, endowed chair, surgeon, and all that stuff. And you know, overnight, I'm in rehab with a bunch of another bunch of addicts, right? So I, I wasn't too <laughs> pleased with the situation. <laughs> put it mildly. In fact, I was voted least likely to succeed by my fellow inmates. But one of the things that drove me crazy <laughs> about my My counselor is that he's every day, Mike. You got to keep a gratitude journal and write three things in it you're grateful for every day. Exactly. But you know, as a surgeon, I thought, "What? Are you serious? You're telling me I got to do some BS like that?" And I'm in. I'm in rehab. I got bigger problems and fish to fry. Yes. But I got out, and then I didn't buy it. And my daughter sent me a video about the science of gratitude, and I I was like, (laughs) "Okay, looks like I was wrong about that." Exactly. And I started practicing it. Just simply writing three things in the morning that I, and hey, geez, my God, right. my, it just lifts my spirits. It's just that. incredible what it does. You know, it really and is that,
1: remarkable. That research by Robert Emmons mm-hmm. was released around the time that we were starting this forgiveness stuff. It's one of the things that allowed what we did to have a better scientific validity. Right, right. That without that, we would have been even more further out of the limb. Yeah. But he had a couple of studies and it made all the difference.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, I think it would be interesting to hear your kind of uh, experience with some of the toughest cases of forgiveness in the world. I mean, you've been all over the world. I mean, we're, we're not talking about like affairs and stuff here. We're talking about like murder. loss of individuals that are close to you and and the effectiveness of this framework and process that you developed you can just give us a little bit of an oversight about the power of this even in these extreme circumstances
1: you know I I don't want to glorify like being in the middle of extreme circumstances it's horrible and I'm sure sometimes you felt that way even though you offered people good stuff with heart lung stuff it was mm-hmm. still horrifying that they still meet- horrifying.
0: Yes, absolutely. It doesn't horrifying. take away from the, the the awfulness of it. That's what
1: yeah. I. And so <laughs> I'm very aware when people like, you know, want pat me on the back or whatever, or that that they 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 might be minimizing the the desperate human suffering um, involved in all this. Yeah, yeah. And I can tell you one of those, and then I will tell you um, two stories that I know. But we brought 17 people from Northern Ireland, Catholics and Protestants, back when they were still at war with each other, and each person in that room had, had an immediate family member murdered in the violence. So I think there were nine Catholics, eight Protestants, something like that, and I'm sitting in the middle of moms who had their kids killed and kids who had their parents killed, and, and it was so awful like so awful to live on that planet where this happens. Like I I never fully I never fully recovered from that insight because it humbled me in a a very difficult way. Like, oh, my God, Fred, you're throwing, you know, a Band-Aid at at a, you know, raging flood. But God bless your Band-Aid. so that's that's part of my context now like you know right it's important
0: context context.
1: but so one time uh, a a woman was in one of my classes who um was in chronic pain she um had pelvic pain because her pelvis had been broken from a motorcycle accident and i'm going to say Five years later, she was still in pain and she knew she had a lot of forgiving to do around the accident and stuff. So separate from the class, she told me what happened. She and her husband were arguing. They were at the end of a marriage and they would just, they just read each other's throats and she's on the back of his motorcycle. And unfortunately they're winding through mm-hmm. the hills above Stanford University. And he turns back to yell at her, loses control of the motorcycle, and they go smash into a Redwood. They're both helicoptered down to Stanford Hospital. Um, She gets out of it relatively unscathed, you know, broken ribs, broken pelvis, but he has brain damage from it. So it's horrible. So whatever number of months or years it was that she came to my class, she really wanted to forgive this. She really did. So it was maybe two years after she worked at it. She came back three months later and told me, you know, Fred, after the forgiveness stuff, I realized it wasn't just my husband's fault. We were both arguing. I didn't tell him, hey, slow down. You might hurt somebody. I was right there with him. So I caused it as much as he did. She then, like, they never regained their marriage, but she engaged in some of his care, which he had after the accident because she took responsibility for her
0: part. Really important point here. Really important point. And
1: the forgiveness um, and the whatever it was, her pelvic pain went away. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt.
1: But I'm I have just no doubt. Yeah. Her pelvic pain went away. That's yeah. one. The second is one of those Irish folks told us that was a, a first group had come to Northern Ireland and the mom was one of them. And on the second group, she brought two of her adult children. And one of the children came to us and said, thank you for giving us our mom back. Mm -hmm. That after our brother was killed, like she's never been whole. And while, you know, she's still like, but she's back. back. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, nothing, nothing had this kind of impact on her. And those are two like profoundly moving, whatever, stories of what we've done.
0: that's about the best testimony you can get to this, you know, right there, mom is back. Yeah, mom is back. Yeah. Then finally, what about forgiving ourselves? Um,
1: Now, with this book I'm writing on substance abuse, oral addictions and forgiveness, an interesting thing is coming out of that because it turns out the research shows that for substance abusers, they have more negativity towards themselves than others. I, I didn't know this, and but there's some research out there that has shown that when they forgive themselves, they're more likely to recover from this and some of their physical like craving goes away. I mean, it's no panacea. So we focus more on other forgiveness, even though we've done work on self-forgiveness, it's never been central. So we're, mm-hmm. we're adapting some of our stuff to have more of an impact in this book. Um, but I'm gonna tell you the some of the key insights that I use came directly from 12-step programs. I mean, they, they've, yeah. you know, they've yeah. been out there for 90 years. What yeah. am I gonna invent, something else? So our, our key framing here is it's more important to do good than to feel bad. And so we're not that, we don't care that much about whether you feel bad about yourself. For us, the heart of self-forgiveness is making amends and saying you're sorry. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
1: we've built up processes along when you have said you're sorry to anybody on the planet that you have harmed, even if it's to yourself, like if you drunk your way out of a marriage, well, you need to say you're sorry to the partner. But you need to say you're sorry to you. You need to make amends both to the partner and yourself. You need to try to make it whole and you need to change.
0: Yeah. yeah. Those
1: yeah. are the heart of self-forgiveness. When you've done those things in any way, you have complete freedom to you no longer have any debt to society. You no longer have any like reason to hold on to any guilt but if you haven't done those things then some degree of self-criticism is
0: probably warranted mm-hmm. gosh I mean this parallels my experience exactly I I never formally said I was sorry to myself and I do know that an authentic apology to someone else where it's really coming from my heart yes. is incredibly powerful incredibly. I, I, it's amazing know, for everybody and you
1: asked, what was one other predictor of forgiveness? A sincere apology is a mm-hmm. huge predictor. Huge one, yeah.
0: Well, that's a good note to, to end this wonderful discussion on. I, I just can't thank you enough for bringing, bringing yourself and your wisdom and your experience uh, to thank, our members. Thank you for they having me. so much, yeah. This has been The Resilient Surgeon a podcast brought to you by the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends, trainees, and colleagues know about it. On social media, you can use the hashtag self. More information about the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is available online at sts.org.